My entitled neighbor hits my car and then lies about it. So I decide to get revenge by ruining over 300 pounds of meat that he had in his freezer while he was away on vacation. And I've never felt better about getting back at a neighbor in my life. Here's what happened. So for starters, this happened about five or six years ago. For some context, my neighbor, we'll call him Chester, that's not his real name, is your stereotypical weekend outdoorsman type. He owns at least 10 different baseball caps and they all have camouflage on them. He's He's one of those types of people. He drives a Jeep, which will be important later on, and usually spends his weekends either hunting, fishing, or prepping for when the world ends. I tried to explain to him once that we were within the fallout range of a major city, so if it got hit, we would be done for either way. But you know what? Whatever. Everybody needs a hobby, and some people's is collecting canned peaches. Now, two weeks before the revenge, I came outside to see my car had a broken window on the passenger side, and that part of the frame was dented just above the door handle. I can tell immediately from the size and shape of the dent exactly what it is from. As I said, my neighbor Chester drives a Jeep and mounted on his front grill is a cable winch that he uses for pulling stumps and all this other stuff. It juts out almost a foot and a half in front of the bumper and is made of solid steel. Anyone with a picture of the winch and the shape of the dent in my car could probably CSI that pretty quickly just from eyeballing it. The dent is almost identically shaped and situated at at the same height the winch was mounted. On top of that, Chester lives directly across the street from me, and he likes to back into his driveway. Conveniently enough, my car is always parked on the street, so he has ample opportunities to hit it if he wanted to. I asked Chester about it, and without saying anything, he shook his head while biting his lip like some kind of clueless cartoon character. I then asked him if anyone who borrowed his car might have done it because the winch itself was pretty scratched up, almost like it's been ramming into things all over town. Again, Chester Chester silently shakes his head and then tries to tell me it was probably teenagers. No exposition, mind you. He just blamed it on teenagers. At this point, I was fuming, but kept my composure and went home to call the police, as well as my insurance company, to report it. I managed to get a competent police officer who told me point blank that it was clear what happened, but without a witness, it would be pointless to try and prove it. The insurance agent was equally certain of Chester's guilt, but ended up recommending I pay out of pocket for the repair. Since I I was parking on the street, it was a factor the insurance company might use against me if I filed the claim at all. When it came time for them to recalculate and adjust my monthly rate, I could see a significant increase. So it's right about then that I decided to get some revenge. So essentially, a few hundred dollars out of pocket right now could save me several hundred a year going forward if my rate was to increase due to my own negligence, which is what the claim would unfortunately be categorized as. A raw detail for sure, but at least he was honest with me. Fast forward to two weeks later and Chester and his family are going up north to rough it in nature for a week. And despite my cold attitude towards him in recent days, he asked me to keep an eye on his house while he's gone, since I'm the only person in the neighborhood that he trusts apparently. I agreed to it, not because I had any type of revenge in mind, but because he gifted me a large case of beer for my service. His one request was that I call him if we have any extreme weather, because he would need me to check on something. Two nights after he left, we had a nasty storm. Wind, hail, and even a few rolling blackouts. The next morning, I called Chester to ask him what he needed me to check on, but he didn't answer my call. Knowing Chester, he had probably set up camp in some rural part of America with absolutely no cell phone service, even though he asked me to call him if this happened. After a few failed attempts, I went over to his house to inspect for any potential issues that might have arisen from the weather. I figured he was probably worried about his garage flooding since his yard was 
was frequently a moat after heavy rain. I went into the garage and there was no flooding, but something caught my eye immediately. Four large freezer chests lined up side by side, taking up a huge chunk of the wall. I peeked inside one and immediately realized what Chester was worried about. All four of them were packed from floor to lid with meat. Some of it was still in packages from the grocery store, and some of it was wrapped in butcher's paper. It was likely game picked up from Chester's hunting exploits, but on top of one of the freezers was something else that seemed out of place. It was a red solo cup full of frozen water, with a penny sitting on top. I thought that was weird and dismissed it immediately, but curiosity got the better of me later that day when I got home. I decided to Google it, and what I learned instantly clicked as a way to get the ultimate revenge on Chester for hitting my car and sticking me with a repair bill. There's an old life hack that people used to use when they went on vacation. You freeze a cup of water, then place a penny on top of it and stick it in your freezer. If the power goes out, the water will eventually melt and the penny will fall to the bottom of the cup. If you return home and the penny is at the bottom of the cup, your freezer was off for an extended period of time and now everything in it has potentially defrosted and become unfit for consumption. I immediately got up and ran back to Chester's garage to scope out the legitimacy of my nefarious deed. As luck would have it, Chester's circuit breaker was hidden behind a tool shelf, not directly visible to the naked eye. Who would put a shelf in front of a circuit breaker? Well, Chester, of course. So I promptly took the cup out of the freezer and sat it on Chester's porch to let it get in the sun. After a few hours, the ice had melted enough that the penny slipped right to the bottom of the cup. I then put the cup back in the freezer, being very careful to position it exactly where it was when I took it out, all before moving on to the last phase of my insidious plan. I started blowing up Chester's phone with calls and frantic text messages. Chester, where is your circuit breaker? I can't find it and your power is off. Get back to me as soon as possible. I did this countless times over the next two days before I finally got a call from Chester. He told me immediately where to go in his garage to find the circuit breaker, which of course I already knew thanks to my prior detective work. I sat the phone down and flipped the circuit breaker twice, once to turn it off and then a second time to turn it back on, giving it just enough time to mess with the digital clocks on all of his appliances. And with that, my revenge was complete. All that was left was for Chester to come back home, which took another two days. When Chester got back home, I was nervous, but eager to see if my charade had worked. The next day, I got a knock on my door. It was Chester. He asked me if I wanted some meat to give to my dogs. Apparently, the power had been off for far too long, and all the meat in his freezer had thawed out while he was gone, so he was throwing it all away. I asked him how much he had, and he said it was probably somewhere close to 300 pounds of meat. He didn't want to waste it, so he asked if I wanted to give some to my dogs. I graciously helped myself to roughly half a freezer's worth of meat, and some of it which I stored in my own fridge. With the rest of it, Chester being nice enough to offer to hold onto in his freezer until I needed it. The kicker is is that Chester had no idea the meat never actually defrosted, and it was still perfectly good. That very night, I helped myself and my dogs to a couple of nice steaks, courtesy of old Chester himself, who was still busy walking the neighborhood, unloading the tainted meat on anyone who had a cat or a dog that might want it as a meal. It was at least four or five months before me and my dogs went through all the meat Chester had given us. I don't know if I made all my money back for the repairs on my car, but at least I didn't have to buy any meat for at least a fortnight. Honestly, that is hilarious. This guy lied straight up to your face. He said, no, I didn't hit your car, despite the fact that this was literally a perfect indent into your car. Like, this guy was a straight-up liar. I can't stand people who lie like that. Literally, just own up to it. Or at least leave a note and be like, hey, 
I hit your car and I'm really sorry. So while this is kind of a sketchy thing to do, I honestly find the story really funny because the original poster decided, you know what? If I'm going to suffer, well then congratulations, you're going to suffer as well. If you like Am I the Jerk, you're probably going to love Am I the Genius. Check it out, link down below in the description. Also, go to amithejerk.com slash submit if you would like to submit your own stories. An entitled mother refuses to pay me the full amount that I'm owed after staying up all night and watching her children for far longer than we had agreed. And I've never been more frustrated and shocked in my life. Here's what happened. So for a bit of backstory, I've been babysitting since I was about 12 years old. I've been a summer full-time nanny before I got the job at the restaurant I work at now. And I love being around kids. Up until this point, I hadn't had to stop watching any particular child. Usually I would cease my service when children get old enough to be left at home by themselves. I was a junior in high school when this happened and I knew the boys and the entitled mother of the story really well beforehand or so I thought at least. So I really had no issue watching the children. They were very polite and well behaved boys and I never had any odd feelings towards the parents up until this point. So when the boy's mother asked me if I was free to babysit them I was like sure why not. About two days before I went to babysit I did all of my usual first time working for this family type of things. I asked them if there's any allergies. How long do you want me to watch the boys? Are you comfortable with the pay rate we agreed upon still? Do any of them need medication? And after going through the questions, everything was normal. The plan was I was going to be babysitting from 4 p.m. after school until 9 o'clock p.m. that evening. I would feed the boys, give them a bath, get them in their pajamas, make sure the little one went potty before bed at 7 o'clock, and I would get paid when the parents got home from their dinner party. It was $5 per kid per hour for a total of $50 when they arrived. That's really going to be important later on. The night I'm supposed to babysit comes around, and it's a fairly normal experience. The boys were, as they always were during church, well-behaved and very respectful. They stayed out of trouble when I made dinner. They didn't get fussy during bath time. They went to bed after a story and a few lullabies. Everything was great. And then I had two hours to do my homework. So this honestly was great. Well, 8.30 rolls around, and the entitled mother texts me that they're going to be about 30 minutes late, as the party ended at about 9 o'clock instead of 8.30. I say to them, oh, that's fine, and I text my dad, and he says that's fine as well. So I go back to my homework. Now, me, having no concept of time, unless I'm really paying attention, I don't notice when 9.30 passes and it hits 10.30. My dad calls because he's concerned that I'm not home yet, and I'm concerned as well because this entitled mother told me that she would be home only half an hour later, not a full hour. So I tell him I'll check in. I text her and I get no reply. I try to call and I end up having to leave a voicemail. I wasn't left a number for the father, whom I hadn't even met at all before this because he traveled for work. Also, because his phone was broken at the time and couldn't receive or send calls. So I was stuck there until the couple got back. I called my dad and let him know the situation. And he said that if she didn't come back by midnight, then I need to call the police. I thought this might be a bit excessive, but nonetheless, I agreed. 11 o'clock rolled around and I text her again and I still get no response. I call again and it rings until voicemail and I leave another one, still trying to be polite. But I add a bit of urgency as it is a school night and my dad expects me home. 11.30 hits and I text her again. This time I get a response. We're on our way home. Don't worry. We'll be there in 15 minutes. So I'm relieved. I text my dad and he just tells me that he'll wait up for me. I start packing up my stuff because I finished my homework. I check on the boys to make sure they're asleep as well as the fact that they're okay just one last time and I'm prepared to go as 
soon as they walk in the door. Well, 11.45 rolls around and they still haven't shown up. I'm a bit annoyed now, but I give them the benefit of the doubt and think maybe there's some kind of traffic. Well, midnight rolls around next and they still aren't here. I text her again, but this time I'm not polite at all. I say to this entitled mother, I need to go home. My dad is worried and wants me home. I have school tomorrow and a physics test. When will you be here? I get no response. I put my stuff by the front door and I text my dad again. He's annoyed and tells me that if she doesn't show up by 1 o'clock in the morning, then he's coming over to watch the boys so I can go home to bed. At 12.30, I get a text message. We'll be home in just a few. We got hung up. By 12.45, the couple gets home. I text my dad that they're home and he says that he expects me home as soon as possible. The entitled mother comes in with her husband and neither of them look like they were in a rush. I was visibly annoyed and the husband looked extremely confused by this. This is also the first time he has ever met me and he thought that I would be older. The entitled mother said, thank you for watching the boys. She then hands me an envelope and I look inside to see $40. I don't want to be rude, but you owe me more money than this. The entitled mother says, we agreed on $40, right? I said, no, it was $50, $5 per kid per hour. And it's right about then that the husband chimes in. The husband says, honey, we're really underpaying her then. He looked like he was doing the math in his head. She says to him, no, we agreed upon this, so this is what you're getting. Now, when she said this, I was stunned at this point. Up until now, this entitled mother had never shown any signs of entitlement. And after years of being around an alcoholic mother, I knew the difference between drunk and sober. And the entitled mother was completely sober. So I was extremely confused. The husband said, honey, when did you tell her that we'd be home? And the entitled mother said, one in the morning. And at this point, I couldn't hide my shock. But the entitled mother is already shooing me out the door. I'm stunned as I'm pushed with my stuff into the driveway and given a swift goodbye. I look at the contents of the envelope and I'm still extremely angry by this. I text my dad that I'm on my way home and as I start to get into my car to leave, the husband comes out and wants to talk to me. He asks me, how much do I owe you? I say to him, technically almost $60, but it's fine. The husband then says, no, take this. He then hands me two 20s. I'm sorry about her. She told me that she had a sitter for the entire night. I thought you were a college student. That was unfair. Please drive home safe. I'll pay you the rest this weekend at church. And true to his word, he gave me the last 20 that he owed me, as well as a bit extra for the troubles. This happened two more times before I refused to watch the boys ever again. I still see the boys at church, and I love them so much. But I couldn't keep doing this as a high school student, and the boys thankfully understood. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Wow, you did this two more times? What in the world were you thinking? I'm sorry, but there's no way after that first time that this lady was trying to stiff me my money, I would have shown up to that house and tried to watch her kids. Sure, you love the kids, and those are good boys, and you enjoy spending time with them and being able to take care of them and babysit them, but their mother is a complete Karen. Like, she wasn't going to pay you your full wage, and she lied about how long you were planning on staying there to watch them. Like, it was literally a school night, and she was making you stay there until, what, one in the morning? Like, that is not 
okay. That's completely inappropriate. Thank goodness the husband in this situation actually has a good head on his shoulders. Otherwise, you would have been stiffed a lot of money, and that honestly wouldn't have been fair. So good for you for getting out of that weird babysitting job, because this entitled Karen was taking advantage of you, as well as completely underpaying you, and you absolutely did not deserve that in the slightest. Am I the jerk for not wanting to pay extra for a gift my mother-in-law gave me, even though I never asked for the gift in the first place? Here's what happened. My mother-in-law bought me a new coffee machine. I don't know why, as the one I have is still working fine, but whatever, I accepted it. Before leaving, she told me I needed to pay her $30. I asked her why, and she said that she planned on putting only $50 on the gift, but the cheapest coffee machine she could find was around $80, so I needed to give her the $30 that she added for the machine. That really confused me, because if she only planned on putting a certain amount of money in the gift, then why not just give up the coffee machine idea and buy something that actually was $50? She said she didn't care about paying more if it made me happy. But I said, well, clearly you do care. Otherwise, you wouldn't be asking me for the extra $30. She said it was just a matter of principle and that if I had any manners, I would pay her. And after she said that, she left. She later texted my husband that she was waiting on the $30 and would take back the coffee machine if I didn't. I told my husband to respond that she could come back and take it because I was not going to give her the $30. My husband is not okay with that because he got attached to the machine, whatever that means, and to just give her the $30. I told my husband if he wanted to keep the machine, then he should give his mom the money that she wants. But he said that I needed to do it because the gift is originally mine, even though I never asked for it. He said I was making this harder than it needed to be, and I was selfish for not paying the extra $30 for the coffee machine his mom got me, especially knowing that he likes it. I have a hard time seeing how I'm wrong, so I'm coming here because there might be a chance that I am in the wrong. Should I just give his mom the $30 like she's asking for and just be done with it? Am I the jerk here? What should I do? Your mother-in-law sounds incredibly weird. Listen, if you're going to give somebody a gift of some kind, you're not going to then turn around and be like, actually, you need to pay for this gift. At that point, it's not a gift anymore. This is now like a forced purchase, and it's a forced purchase you did not ask for. That is incredibly weird in my opinion. There's no way this is appropriate. It's incredibly rude. This is so disrespectful, and she's just trying to guilt trip this person into paying for it as if they had any kind of skin in the game when it came to purchasing this stupid coffee machine. The original poster seems like the only person who has any kind of head on their shoulders or who is in any kind of way like being rational about this. Like the mother-in-law buys the original poster a gift that's really for the husband and then expects the original poster to pay for it. Like that's really what it kind of seems like at this point. So no, I wouldn't pay for anything. In fact, I would take that coffee machine out today if I was in your shoes and I would drop it off at her house and say to her, here you go, I'm not paying for anything and then just be done with it. If your husband really thinks you're being irrational and if he really likes this coffee machine, then he would pay his mother the $30 she's demanding. So no, I don't think you're the jerk. I think your mother-in-law and your husband are being a bunch of weirdos and there is no reason that you should be forced to pay for a gift that was given to you that you never even asked for in the first place. Am I the jerk for refusing to give my son's room to my cousin who is currently living with us and demanding to take his room? Here's what happened. So to start things out, my partner and I have two kids, Luke and Jay. Luke is 18 years old and Jay is 15 years old. Now, we took the boys under our care when they were 8 and 11 years old. Before they came with us, they had been in different families and group homes for over a year. It was hard for Luke to understand that they were with us for good and that he had his own bedroom and family. Me and my partner know that he still sometimes has insecurities about it and to 
a recent one was about him leaving for college. He explained to Luke that even if he was 18 and leaving the house, he would still have a room and a place at home, be it now or in 10 to 25 years, that he would still be our kid at 40 and we will always be here for him. Now, here's the issue. My cousin, who's a 42-year-old female, recently broke up and needed somewhere to live for her and her two boys. Me and my partner have a house big enough and we agreed to host them free of charge for six months until she gets her bearings back. For the house itself, my partner and I have a kind of master bedroom with our bedroom, a bathroom, and an office. Our boys have their own room and they share a bathroom. And my cousin's boys have the guest room with a bathroom. My cousin has a room on the ground floor. It's not big, but she has the space for a bed as well as a desk and a wardrobe. Last week, we got the keys for Luke's flat and we started the process of furnishing it. He will officially move in next week and will start university the week after. This weekend, my cousin asked when Luke's room will be empty, but I told her that it won't be and that he will only take his clothes, his books, and decorative items. Basically, his room will stay the same and he will take only what he wanted. She then asked how she will be able to move in the room with all of his stuff still here. I told her that she won't, that it will still be his bedroom. He will still come home on some weekends and holidays. She then complained about the fact that she was living in a storage room, that she was the only one without her own bedroom, and that it was unfair to us to have an empty bedroom in our house and not give it to her. My partner and I were very firm in our decision, but my mom and aunt called and told me that it was a bit unfair of us to not offer proper accommodation for my cousin, and that Luke could do without a room for a few months now that he has a flat for the school year. But I completely disagreed. For me, it's more than a room. It's what it represents. It's his own place for him in our home, and it's something I want him to have for as long as possible. I've been called selfish and that I was coddling him too much over this, so I honestly need an outsider perspective. Am I the jerk here? What should I do? I don't think you're the jerk at all. Your sons come from very sketchy backgrounds. They were in group homes and other families for a while, and this is the first time they finally felt like they were at home. So for you to tell your son, yes, your room will be there when you come back, that, in my opinion, is really sweet. And that is the mark of a really good parent. So it's honestly really disrespectful that your cousin would suddenly be like, man, my room is like a storage closet. Give me Luke's room. Like, no, we have made our decision. You're not taking it. You're not moving into it. And that's the final word. I don't care if your mom or your aunt or if the Pope comes in there and says, you've got to move it. This is your home, so it's your rules. Your cousin has no say over it. And it's honestly kind of rude for her to try and make some kind of demand, even though she has no ownership over the home. I know if I was in her situation, I would just be happy to have a place to live at. So no, you are not the jerk here. Your cousin is being weird and your extended family is also being weird. Because at the end of the day, you decide who stays where in your home. And in my opinion, no amount of complaining should ever change your decision. Thanks for watching. When you subscribe, make sure to hit the bell to turn on notifications so you never miss a video. To finish listening to all the stories, check out the playlist at the top of the description. And if you want some vibey music to put on in the background, check out Easy Mode. If you like Am I the Jerk, check out Am I the Genius. Everything will be linked in the description.